0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now, leave a message, they will return your call at 905-529-7165, and check out their website at com. That's andyanddawn, all one word, dot com. There you can listen to old archive shows or ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all in your little box again.
2: (laughs) Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott. I'm just sitting back, chilling out with my coffee, ready for a fireside chat here. (laughs)
1: There you go. Uh, (laughs) And he's got the fire going, too. Is that supposed to be indoors, or are you supposed to be out in the backyard with that? (laughs) Anyway, we'll uh, stop, drop, and roll, Andy, if need be. Stop, (laughs) drop, (laughs) and (laughs) roll. So uh, interesting news uh, coming out last week, and many have been talking about that uh, the federal government has been going uh, quite a long period of time without any sort of uh, budget. Uh, I think the provincial budget, the second one, is due out uh, this week. However, uh, it it, it appears that come April 19th, uh, there will be a federal budget.
3: That is big news. And you know what? It's probably been budget by fire. Talking about fireside chats, that's how... The government's been kind of running, and, you know, for good reason, because of the pandemic. They've just been changing on the fly and making, you know, trying to keep the economy going, making changes. Obviously, the uh, coronavirus has been the topic that has all, all, all kind of budget decisions has, have been, you know, made about it. And there's been no really new budget for two years, as you mentioned. And that's, a, that's incredible. That's never happened as long as I've been, certainly, in this business. I don't know about
2: you, Andy. No, exactly. And it's been, um, you know, normally it, it I always enjoy the budgets because that's sort of like our our it's like the green light to go in terms of how do we now adjust people's plans and what do we need to update in terms of tax strategies as they keep changing the, uh, the goalposts. We keep adjusting our uh, our our game plan.
1: Uh, the government saying the reason for this delay is the pandemic. How does that throw a stick in the spokes of all of this?
3: and that totally makes sense i I, you know if if we were the government and you're literally trying to change the rules every week as the as the pandemic was either getting worse or starting to get better and the vaccine was coming and you know so many things came in about and the news and just the knowledge about the whole virus in general so i can totally get why they had to put it aside um that being said i'm kind of excited as annie mentioned about the changes um, you, you never know. How are they, I think one of the questions everybody's wondering is, how are they going to pay for all the money that they put back into the economy, whether it was Serb checks, etc. So I know there's been a lot of speculation in terms of where they're going to get this money from, whether it's uh, increase the capital gains, but that's a double-edged sword. If you start to increase the capital gains inclusion, how much tax people pay on selling things, then maybe people stop investing in the country. Hmm. So it's a real question mark. Or do they simply um, say, okay, the economy will take care of itself, people will get back to work, and they'll all start paying their share of tax and we will start paying down the debt. But it has to give somewhere. And it'll be interesting to see how they, you know, in a minority government, no less,
0: how they try
3: to figure um, any tax changes that are palatable for, you know, all parties.
1: Do you think that the government will use this budget to trigger an election? I know it's, it's more of a political question, but it's a possibility. As you mentioned, we are in a minority government.
2: Well, you know, uh, an election is always around political posturing, right, in terms of which, which party feels they have the, the upper hand at any at given, a given point. And uh, with the minority government and maybe the Conservatives really not still uh, formalizing their own platform, then uh, I, wouldn't, I can imagine that uh, it's something that could happen for sure.
1: So here we are a year later, as far as uh, how the stock market has reacted and such. What are your thoughts a a year after this?
3: Yeah, interesting you say that. You go back to Tuesday, March 23rd, and that was the bottom of the stock market, Scott. And that was where, oh, I know I got a few phone calls. That was a Monday. Uh, We were very busy. People, you know, funny enough, there was a, we're busy on two cents. There was obviously people concerned because the news wasn't great then. And people were saying, okay, is this a good time to invest? And the markets were down over, you know, 34% in the U S 37% in Canada. People were wondering, should I invest now? And I, I remember distinctly saying, Hey, you know what? It could go down to 40%. We don't know, but boy, if I, if there was a 37% sale on anything that you really wanted to buy, whether it be a car or clothes or computer, et cetera, you'd be saying, what a bargain. It'd be almost like a, you know, black, uh, a black Boxing Day sale or a Black Monday sale or something like that, and you'd be there lining up to buy it. And yet we're in a business where we lower our prices and people often try to run away to their detriment. And so you look, and it's quite, you know, fear is a big deal. And, and you look at the news, and I went back a year ago just to see what were the kind of the news articles or the headlines back literally 12 months ago and so one was mandatory mandatory closures of all non-essential workers in ontario that was there uh this week will be as ugly um in the certain terms of the stock market if asian open is any guide u.s equities hit the limit down well that means the computer only allows them to drop so much before they stop trading so that was happening a year ago oil hit twenty dollars it's now at sixty one dollars The Canadian dollar dropped to seventy cents, it's closer to eighty cents now. All the concerts were canceled. (laughs) The parks, playground, Bruce Trail, uh, you know, everything was closed. You know, it was in the city the city of Toronto literally this day said they are now announcing a state of emergency. So that's the backdrop of the news. And you think, okay, well that's a backdrop, what should what should we do for our investments? And that is a, that's why it's, it, there's, it's, not a, it's a disconnect between the news and what you should do with investments. Who would have thought with that news background that you should be putting your money in the stock market right then, and that is the lowest point, and everything would start rising from there. In fact, one year ago, if you invested in the Dow Jones, it, would, you, it, it has gone up 76%. The Dow Jones is the u s. stock market since a year of that time. So the Dow Jones was eighteen thousand five uh, five ninety one a year ago. It's now thirty two thousand six seventeen. Now, a lot of people don't understand indexes, but think of it as dollars. Let's say you had eighteen thousand dollars and you put it in eighteen thousand five hundred ninety one dollars. it would now be worth thirty two thousand six seventeen and that's an easier way cause the index is kind of confusing because everybody says, oh, it's up five hundred points or whatever. Well, if you actually had the money, you had 18571 you would have, you know, had a 76% return. Now, the S&P 500, it's a better cross-section of companies because there's 500 companies in the S&P 500. It wasn't actually interesting enough. It wasn't that different. Um, it was 76% also. It went from 2237 to 3937 The NASDAQ was a huge winner. It went up 94%. Now, these are technology stocks, and I often say, who would have thought that the safest place to put your money would have been technology? Often people think, oh, I'll just buy bank stocks. Those are usually the best, and it turned out they were one of the worst performers. And so the NASDAQ went up 94%, and the Toronto stock market, which is two thirds really, two thirds of the market is one third banks and one third resources, basically. It went from 11,228 to 18,726 in terms of the index, or up about 67%. So very great time to be buying. I remember speaking to people, and they were they would not buying, even though they had money. They were frozen. And literally, it's kind of interesting, um, in March 20th of a, year, of a year ago, Warren Buffett had a statement saying, Fear is the most contagious disease. It makes the virus look like a piker. <laughs> now, I didn't know what a piker was, so I had no. to look up what is a piker? Yeah, we're
1: all laughing like we know what it means.
3: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, Warren Buffett, I tell you, he's got some of the best quotes, and, and funny enough, of course, uh, he's absolutely right here. The definition of a piker is one that gambles with a small amount of money, uh, plays cautiously, and does things in a small way. So basically he's saying the virus is like a nothing major compared to fear. And he's absolutely right. Fear grips people in ways that we don't even understand. And it's right in our DNA. It's part of our brainstem. I'm sure it kept us alive back 2,000 years ago. But it does the worst for your money. You will, you will just not do well with your money. And so I know Andy and I have talked about this in the past. But let's say you did miss, and let's say uh, and we had a few people say, well, let's just put the money on the sidelines and we'll wait till things look better. What that really means is let's <laughs> sell now and we'll buy it back when it's higher.
1: When the price goes okay? up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that's what it really means, and that's not what they're saying. Yes, Scott?
1: Isn't this the best excuse or reason for a pre-authorized check deal, like where you contribute every month or week or whatever?
3: Oh, absolutely. This is what a financial planner really earns their stripes. We, I know... In our practice, we did not have one person take their money out during this time. In fact, we had a, a lot of people um, add during this point in time. And, then, and and obviously, they got returns on those dollars invested similar to the, what the returns we just talked about. And it's amazing. If you just mess up the plan, it abs- has a huge cost. So, an example, if you invested in the U.S. stock market uh, 20 years ago and uh, you had... You know, $10,000 would have grown to $32,000 in 20 years. Now, it's not a particularly good rate of return. It did about 6% in those 20 years because we, from 2000 to 2010 was what they called the lost decade. So most of all, all of that was actually done in the last 10 years. But if you missed just 10 days, your return went from 6% down to 2.44%. The best, the best 10 days. Yes. Sorry. Thank you, Andy.
2: Yeah.
3: Um, if you missed the best 10 days. And so you look at this, now instead of having 32,000, you're down to 16,000. If you miss 20 of the best days, your return was zero. You still have your original $10,000. You made no money in 20 years by simply missing the best 20 days. So it it is absolutely incredible. Now, if you miss a month, now we're talking out of 20 years, you miss 30 of the best days, your return is now minus two. You actually are down to 6,700. And if you miss 60 of the best days in 20 years, your return was negative 7%, and your $10,000 is now worth $2,331. You would have lost almost 80% of your money just by missing two months of the best days over 20 years. Now, it's hard to time those best days, but I can tell you one thing they're using rebound days. And when things are looking the worst, when everything, is, the skies are black, the media, as I just, uh, I just was announcing the different media announcements that time, nothing said back then, this is a good time to invest. Everything pointed to, in fact, one specifically said, if uh, Asia is open, if, any, if Asia is any guide, the U.S. equities will continue to go down. This is going to be a bad week. So great time, um, to keep to your plan. And thankfully, a year later, most people did, and they're right on track for accomplishing their financial goals.
1: I forgot that uh, phrase, the lost decade. We used to use that in the show a lot back 10 years ago. It's amazing where how far we've come. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister, Don Fox, are here from IG Private Wealth Management, 905-529-7165, or check out the website at andyanddon.com. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll return your call at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows and ask a question via the listener inquiry button. All right. We're talking, you know, it's interesting. Can't get a doctor's appointment or anything like that. It's difficult, more difficult, but we can get a personal financial review right here.
2: That's <laughs> it. It's just, it's time. Uh, I like to call it report card time. And of course, you know, it's funny you mentioned, um, a doctor appointment, Scott, because, uh, I was thinking about how when Don and I do a personal financial review, it's kind of different between my neighbor uh, just recently this week ended up having to go into uh, the urgent care center uh, with a problem with his eye. And um, so, you know, he he was impressed how quickly he was able to get seen. But there was no small talk. It was just stick to the answer, the question. Yeah, I want to get to the solution and on to the next person. So there was... That's called an urgent care appointment. And then, of course, the opposite of that is what you might think of as your annual physical. Mm -hmm. And when you get your annual physical, you're talking about, you know, you need to bring in information like a list of the meds that you're taking. They're probably going to go, they're going to give your weight and your height. They're going to measure your blood pressure. They're going to probably ask for blood work. So it tends to be more of that detailed conversation about where you are, what's the status. It's sort of an update and some measurements. And in in my world, and our world, I think it's report card time in the context of what's gone on in the last year or so, and where are we sitting today? You know, when I was thinking about Dawn's section, they were talking about one year later, and here we were just a week ago talking about FOMO, the fear of missing out, and how how these investments have done so well that uh, not only did people a year ago not want to invest, but yet now here they are today. They want to invest because everything has gone up. And so it's a classic story, right, of we only want to buy things when they're doing well. We don't like to buy them when they're not doing well. But the personal financial review, the report card, a snapshot of, of your financial plan, it really a purpose is sort of comparing the projections that have been made in your overall financial plan to where you actually are. And at the same time, we want to do a review of your goals, your financial goals, Have they remained the same, uh, maybe COVID has changed some of the timelines for things, or it, maybe it's accelerated your your thoughts around retirement or other types of um, goals that you may have. And in other cases, it maybe it's put them off. Uh, they, they've extended them, so it's always good to uh, review that and update the plan based on any changes in your goals as well, and have a good discussion about that. So when we get into the resources, and uh, you know, the one thing is is that sometimes people don't always have the information that we need to get to the best result. Uh, so we'll often assign homework, but at the end of the day, we sort of try and capture as much of the information as we can and then follow up with people just to fill in the fill in the gaps. And an example of the resources that we would be looking at through a, a personal financial review, that annual review, is your tax return and your notice of assessment. And today now CRA allows Don and I to ha- become a, a a CRA a representative and what that means is that we have an account that lets us go in and look at your tax information without you having to drag it out and send us a copy or a photocopy you know any of that so that's a great feature now that CRA provides and um, what really we want to we want to make sure is what is your RSP room is there any leftover room what is your TFSA room uh, understanding what your marginal tax bracket is and that's important to, when we think about tax planning and making sure there's, you know, OAS clawback or is there any clawback potential? What investment income are you getting and what kind of salary maybe you're receiving versus dividends as well? Yeah. And I, um, I don't know about you, Andy, but
3: you may have noticed that some of the tax-free savings account room has not been as accurate as you might think. I, I think it's a little delayed. I know uh, I was even looking at my own and I had already contributed months ago and it still showed I had this room. And I know some clients have called and said, "Oh, we have all this room." I said, "No, we've, we're topped up." And it was actually a year and a half behind in that case. So you do have to be careful on the TFSA room, in particular. I find the RSP room is quite up to date, but the TFSA room, if you are, if you do actually just go by that and you overcontribute, it is a one percent per month penalty. And I don't think you can say, "Listen, I went to your account and I showed it showed me this," so I contributed that. I don't know if um, CRA would allow that. Even though it's their information
2: that they're supplying, no, they clearly say on their website that uh, this information is for information purposes only. You need to verify your own amounts, and that and that happens a lot when we ha- when people have multiple TFSA's at different institutions. And I find that that becomes problematic, that particularly if you're trying to max it out and you're starting to and you've taken money out. It becomes harder and harder to track. There's a big benefit, I think, to consolidating TFSA's. You can have different types of investments, but having them under one institution is going to simplify that whole process. Um, you know, one of the things I ask for is the employ- your employee benefit statements, which um, is a good idea just to review what you've got in terms of short-term disability coverage, long-term disability coverage. That became more of a focus over the last year as well. What have you got in terms of life insurance, maybe critical illness or long-term care through work as well? Uh, your insurance policies, some of the dig out those policies and just update the, the, the amounts. If it's a whole life policy, if it's a term policy, it might be coming up for a term renewal. And that's an important time to look at to make sure that um, you can perhaps get a new policy at a cheaper rate. You might have a pension statement from work and an annual pension statement. Just reaffirm, you know, that could be a defined benefit pa- plan, a defined contribution plan if it's a defined contribution plan the statement tells us where those assets are and is it the right mix in terms of the overall asset allocation are you are you maximizing the growth based on the time frame available to yourself your bank statements just reviewing those you know that's your short term reserve what are you paying in terms of fees do you have too many bank accounts uh, you know just a, what interest rate might you be earning on those as well your mortgage statements whatever you owe what's the rate have you been making extra payments? And usually, part of a plan is is some strategy around paying down your mortgage. So, what frequency are your payments? And uh, as far as renewals, is it coming up? Should we be considering a blend blending your rate to take advantage of lower rates as well? Your loan statements—if you've got any loans, car loans, etc.—are they or are they tax deductible? And is there a way to convert those loans into a tax deductible debt? Or maybe is there a way to consolidate those loans as well? And in terms of your investments, your non-registered investments, what risk are you taking there? Are they tax efficient? What's the asset allocation model? And an example might be keeping you know, more growth-oriented investments in that non-registered investment and keeping the more conservative income investments inside your RRSP. Those RRSP, of course, and TFSA statements and other registered plans like Lira's, what's, again, the risk, the asset allocation and then ultimately, what's going to be the withdrawal strategy on those? As you try to uh, minimize tax as well, and then a b- review and update of the will and your power of attorneys. Make sure you know who, who are the people. Is there any need to change those people that you've named? Uh, where are you keeping them? Uh, what is the amount that is going to be going to various people? Does that still make sense? And uh, and how's that going to be done? Is it going to be directly? Is it going to be in trust, etc.? So, you know, we, we sort of, there's, there's sort of that no stone unturned concept, as I like to think about it, and, um, and then we all, always want to review and update just some of the basic information. You know, is your lawyer still the same? Who is it? Who's doing your tax preparation and the accountant? Who are your power of attorneys? Or has anything changed there? Uh, your employment information, have you changed your, is your uh, job title changed? Maybe did you get a raise? And, um, and then dependents, uh, you know, obviously children, but at the same time, maybe one of your parents has now become more dependent on you and you're now in a role of having to uh, care for not only the generation below you, but the generation above as well. And that can change some tax options in, in addition. So um, we want to review your cash flow. And that means just updating what your income is for the year and have you had a raise, you know, what is your what are you withholding and how much do you have net income from your employment and bonuses. And then get into the expenses. And that's always a, an entertaining conversation where we drill down into the, the minutia of where money is going, what's being spent on clothing, groceries, uh, medical costs, your loan payments, what's going into regular savings, what's being spent on vacation, ha, ha, ha. What are you spending on hobbies, you know, that type of thing, uh, gifts throughout the year. And then we end up with what we call an uncommitted income. And that's a dollar amount that you can play with to sort of accelerate or, or look at in improving some of those goals, uh, whether it's saving for retirement, paying down debt, that type of thing as well. And, I, and I'm, I'm sure right now, Andy, as,
3: as what I'm doing is we're talking about cash flow, and it's such a weird year. You talk about vacations and the answer you usually get is I wish. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or 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 entertainment. Uh yeah, I wish that I wish there was some of that too. So right now what we're doing is going, okay, let's say the pandemic's over, what would we be spending normally during this time as opposed to woodworking projects and uh maybe birdseed for a new hobby that you've taken up because of the pandemic
2: (laughs) exactly you know i think one of the challenges too is just understanding where your money is going and even in a in a year like this where we didn't spend a lot and people are still saying geez i thought i should have more left over where did it go and i was actually challenging my son who's at uh, university in between the serb and uh, he received and Income from an RESP, and I said, you know, where did it go? You know, you you should be able to figure that out and have an idea of how that money was spent, and uh, and it's important because sometimes that changes your priorities, and, uh, and and I think it's always important to reflect on that. Imagine so what, what that, that cash uh, yeah.
1: imagine what that discussion is like when your father is a financial planner. <laughs> I'm guessing there ain't a lot of wiggle room there. <laughs>
2: No I, I, it's funny how um, I like to I let to I give them a lot of line to uh, hang themselves and then I can reel it in when I need it. So <laughs>
1: hey, I wish my parents were financial planners. I'd be better off. Good for you. Uh,
2: so once you get through that cash flow, it's a good idea to look at your assets and your liabilities, your net worth sort of picture and um, you know we come back to what's in those deposit accounts. are they jointly owned, individually owned? Um, you know it's funny. I'll often. Talk, I was talking to a client who was uh, 68, and we um, were talking about some estate issues. And she and I said, "No, do you have any other bank accounts?" She said, "Well, I have one down in Saint Catharines. It's my escape account." And I go, "What do you mean your escape account?" She goes, "Well, my husband doesn't know about it. <laughs> 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 it's about ten grand." And I said, "Oh, I get it. And I think a lot of people have an escape account. That's okay."
3: <laughs> Wait a minute. I've never heard of these before. That's, yeah. part of the
2: Wait a sec. that's part of a comfort level I, maybe it's a it maybe it's more and i don't want to be um uh, stereotypical here maybe it's more w- women tend to have an escape account than men but I, I so i'm just throwing that out there uh well i do find second marriages i do find or
3: um they often have two accounts or getting married later in life they're just used to managing their own money and to try to have a joint one joint account doesn't seem to work for them so every you know every situation is different, but, uh, the bottom line, there's no wrong answer particularly, as long as you you have some cash in the bank and you can make things work.
2: No, for sure. And of course but the one that see I'm talking about an account that the other person doesn't know about. Oh of so course. that's that's yeah. that's the special special account. Um, you know, so again, on the, on the asset side, we're looking at uh, you know, updating your real estate holdings. And it's always good to know what is the adjusted cost base? What did you pay for another investment, whether it's a cottage or a rental property? Have you made any additions to it? Just so we have a clear tax picture of that. Any accounts receivable, maybe somebody owes you money. Generally, that's not on paper somewhere, but um, it's important to track. Uh, I had a client who had loaned money to a son who went through a divorce Hundred thousand dollars, and um, and I asked about how that was going to be dealt with. I said, "Well, I'll just uh, if you know if, if I died, it'll be written off in the will." I said, "Well, that's important to document. You need to have that added to the will as far as for clarity for everyone." Um, and on the liability side, you know, anything in terms of debts, I have to always think about what's the strategy that we're using to pay those down. Do we need insurance to protect those in case of a premature death? Um, and what about credit cards? Is there any credit cards that aren't being paid off? And there's a, small, there's a small group of people that still for some reason think having a debt on a credit card is okay. It's just part of earning like a credit score and, and being accountable to it. And you can get a higher level of credit. But, you know, at the end of the day, paying those off makes so much sense. And um, so we end up with a net worth picture by the time we look at your assets and liabilities. And then we move into things like the drilling down into your insurance policies. And one area might be your personal health coverage through work. And so a lot of times people have to take out their own coverage and pay for something on their own Whether if you're not working as well. And I had a situation where some, a couple was paying 350 a month for their uh, personal health plan. There's, uh, so this would be a drug and a dental plan, you know, things like physiotherapy, massage and that type of stuff. And they were paying 350 a month, so that's 4200 a year. And then they paid an additional $2,000 $2, for items that weren't covered by the plan or they had exceeded their limits on the plan, so a total of 6200 And so I said, does that make sense? Because like, overall, you're not really even paying that much in terms of total protection. So sometimes you have to weigh the benefits of having those plans versus not having those plans. They can cover you in case of a catastrophe or maybe a very heavy, costly drug that you might need, but at the same time... Um, it's important just to review that as well and as well as your car insurance i think too and then um it's when we think about uh your retirement plan and your tax plan you know are you a u.s citizen is an important question uh will you be living or traveling outside of the country and then in terms of retirement planning, I want to understand is there any change to your CPP benefits and an update on your CPP benefits? So many people, you know, you start thinking about a plan, you might assume that you're getting the maximum Canada Pension Plan when you retire at 65 or 60. And in fact, maybe you're only getting a percentage of that. Maybe, it's, maybe you're only entitled to 80% just because you didn't earn enough in your early years to be able to maximize that benefit. So, um and then finally, maybe you've got a holding company or a business that you're operating, and you've got shares in that, and how that's being uh, dealt with in terms of an income strategy for you, a retirement. We get into discussions on what we call tossy, the tax on split income, and benefits around that, and, and how to take how to take advantage of it, but also how to avoid it as well. So, the personal financial review it's like the annual checkup that you have with your doctor. It's a uh, very detailed. Uh, but I think very rewarding afterwards. You feel like you're sort of refreshed and you're back on track and you've got a new game plan for the following 12 months.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at AndyandDon.com. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now. Leave a message. They'll get back to you at 905-529-7165, and check out their website at andyanddon.com. It's that time of year again. Uh, tax tips for 2021.
3: Yes, and the first tax tip is the deadline right now is April 30th of this year, because normally you'd say, well, big deal, Don, but this year it does make a difference because last year it got extended, I believe, to September 1st and so I'm I'm looking at this I'm thinking wow it just feels like yesterday we did the taxes for people or talk about taxes and yeah it was a short year we're only talking about you know eight months compared to a a full year between one tax return to another so anyway the deadline is uh, as per usual this year so it is April 30th and I have had that question for by a few people and I hadn't actually really researched it. I just assumed it was the case and it is the case um... A tax tip, and it's kind of a no-brainer, really, but I just always like to bring this up because I do come across this quite frequently, is people are investing money in investments without, say, non-registered investments, without topping up their tax-free savings accounts. And yet they're paying tax, whether it be interest, dividends, or capital gains, tax on those types of income sources, and if they were in their tax-free savings account, they would not be paying the tax at all. And so the limit did increase in 2021 by another 6,000. So the lifetime limit per spouse is 75,500, and it it goes back a number of years. So if you have an 18-year-old, they cannot put in 75,500. They can only put in this year's contribution, um, which would be 6,000. But anyway, um, always good to remind people that there is an option there, and make sure you try to maximize those. The home buyer's plan—it did go up to from twenty-five thousand to thirty-five thousand back a couple years ago. But again, uh, with the price of real estate, it's it's good to make, look at that as a tax tip. Should I put money in the RSPs, take the tax refund, knowing that I'm going to be pulling the funds out to buy a house? Now you do have to do this. I believe it's sixty days in advance, it might be ninety days. So you better double check that one. Andy, you wouldn't know off the top of your head, would you? Uh, I think it's at least 60 days, yes. Okay. And so in order to cash those funds out, otherwise they won't allow you to. Um, the basic amount before paying tax is uh, 13229 That's when you start paying tax. It's supposed to slowly go up. In fact, it's actually fairly quickly go up to $15,000 by 2023. Now, that's the good news. The bad news is in part of their budget from before, is that if you made over 150000 you start losing some of that basic exemption. In fact, you lose it all by the time you make 214000 So instead of, for those high income tax, the high income earners, kind of interesting, they're not raising the tax brackets anymore, they're simply taking away more credits. And so it's just another way to grab more tax from the higher income earners and everybody, you know, a lot of listeners would, might say, okay, well, big deal. I'm not one of those, so it doesn't matter, except for that year you pass, you die, and there's an estate. A and all of a sudden, you have an income of over 200000 and so it, your estate, <laughs> unfortunately, not only has to pay a lot of tax because you're in a high bracket, but also loses some of those exemptions, which are worth uh, a few dollars. So it works about, you know, uh, $3,000 tax savings normally, on that uh, fifteen thousand dollars of tax-free income, so uh, claiming cannabis as a medical expense um, as as a patient, though this is kind of interesting. Uh, you know, any kind of prescribed medicine, of course, is is taxed as a credit. You know, used as a medical credit. Um, this has been going on since two thousand and eighteen, but still, a lot of people say, "Well, it's I you know it's a drug, so I can't get to claim it." A-. But yeah, we're we're thinking in the old days, and therefore you can claim this. In fact. It was one of the one of the uh, headlines I did see over the last year was you know five years ago there'd be a get together of people and they might be smoking a joint and here we are five years later and the only thing that was illegal was getting together with friends <laughs> the other part is illegal as you know so claiming it as a medical expense um, simplifying your home office now that is a new one and you're allowed to claim this simplified one and we've talked about this in previous shows but just for a reminder it's $400, $2 per day um, up to $400 and that means you don't have to go through all the different deductions otherwise if you feel you're going to claim more than $400 you go through the T2200 which your employer would you know sign and, and therefore you get to deduct a lot of other expenses for that but the simple one is the 400, and this is a new one because a lot of people obviously could had to work from home in the past year, and that is kind of a, a, a default mode would be the 400. Now, also, um, kind of a result of Canada Pension Plan, there's an enhanced Canada Pension Plan, so therefore, you get a bigger deduction. It's 165.60 for employees or $331.20 for self employed. Well, that comes good and bad. The fact is, is you're paying more in the Canada Pension Plan, so you get to deduct more. So that's good and the bad with that. Um, This is uh, certainly for 2020. The Canadian Emergency Response Benefit and the Canadian Emergency Student Benefit are all taxable. And there was no tax taken off those two sources. So 0% tax was taken off. There was three other sources that came out. The Canadian Recovery Benefit, the Canadian Recovery Sickness Benefit, and the Canadian Recovery recovery caregiver benefit which had 10 percent taken off at source so they did at least have some tax off now the problem with the canadian recovery benefit is once you start making over 38,000, 50 cents in the dollars taxable so kind of beware if you were in that group you do have to hold back some tax and uh thankfully i guess thankfully in one sense you weren't spending on entertainment and holidays, so you might have some tax kicking around, some tax money kicking around to pay back that tax. So there's uh, there's the tips for a 2020 tax tip.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from IG Private Wealth Management. Call them now, leave a message at 905-529-7165 and check out the website at andyandon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well ask a question via the Listener Inquiry button. Going to talk about the benefits of incorporation this uh, break.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting that a lot of, um, well, young professionals will often contact Don and I about the question of should I incorporate, Uh, shouldn't I? I had the um, son of one of my clients who is a physician. Uh, We were chatting uh, in the last couple of weeks about the concept of incorporation for, for physicians, and um, and obviously, if anybody who's in business or runs a successful business is also—they've uh, been running as a sole proprietor. They're also going to think about or maybe be advised to incorporate as well. And so, just I just wanted to quickly run through some of the features and benefits of incorporation. And um, I think the main three main things are <clears throat> certainly one of them is protection against liability. But in a lot of cases, in an over. In our profession, we cannot exclude ourselves from a liability by incorporating. And that's true for a lot of uh, professionals as well. But the capital gains exemption, which is available to the sale of your shares of the corporation, uh, income splitting, which is another big one, and tax deferral are, I think, are the three biggies. And just to, you know, when we think about capital gain exemption, the one thing about uh, a professional practice is that it often it can't be sold. And even though you can earn you know, about $850,000 of uh, capital gains tax-free on the sale of your shares, um, it, it, it typically, in that scenario, isn't the big advantage. But um, the, one, the key thing is you typically, for a, a professional practice, is you would create what's called an investment holding company. And the purpose of that is if you don't need all of the corporate earnings you can leave money in your corporation and have that money invested. <clears throat> so, uh, one of the key things I'll say to people: listen, if you don't need all the money from your, if you don't need all the money from your uh, business to maintain your lifestyle and pay for your expenses, and you can leave money behind in the corporation, then you're on the right track to start with. But if you basically need all the money that you earn from your business or from your practice to maintain your lifestyle, and you can't leave anything behind, at this point, you know maybe it just makes sense to defer that a while so that uh, till you can do that. So let's talk a little bit about income splitting. And um, there was a bunch of rules created in 2018. They call them the TOSI rules, T O S I, which is tax on split income. And really, the purpose here was to kind of split out. Uh, a couple of categories for individuals. And this was sort of that under-18 group and paying them dividends. And the concept was that a family would set up a corporation, name their children as shareholders, and then pay dividends to the children, which are in a low tax bracket or zero tax bracket, and avoid paying tax at a higher rate. So the government uh, sort of put a snafu on that. And any dividends that you pay to somebody uh, under the age of 18 and even to age 24... Uh, are going to be taxed at the highest marginal tax rate of about 50%, um, unless you can prove that there is a reason for them to receive that income. And there are very few exceptions for that age group, but it could be one is a reasonable return of capital. And uh, that means that if they had invested money into the business, then they should get some money back. Uh, that typically doesn't happen. But the other one which can happen is if they're actively engaged in the business. And actively engaged in the business means they're working at least 20 hours per week. And then there's no limit on the amount of dividends that you can pay them if they're actively involved in the business. And on splitting income, uh, once you're over age 65, if you're uh, a couple who has built up a, a business or a holding company with assets in it and um, your, you and your wife or uh, spouse are over 65, then uh, you can split income in the corporation without any worry about um, these special rules coming into effect. So income splitting is still an effective tool for incorporating. And then I want to talk about the next one, which is tax deferral. And so uh, Tax deferral basically means that, like in Ontario, if you make less than $500,000 of, of net business income in your corporation, you pay about 12.5% tax. So compare that to somebody who makes over 220000 individually, you pay 53% tax. So you can see there's a big gap there, and that means that there's more money sitting in that corporation that you can then go ahead and invest and have working for you. But you can build up what's called passive income, and you've got to be careful that if you have too much passive income, it grinds down this small business deduction, that lower rate of tax that you can pay when you earn less than $500,000 in your business. So passive investment income could be things like interest, net rental income, royalties, uh, Canadian dividends, taxable capital gains, uh, foreign investment income. There's a number of different types of income that count as passive income. Uh, And so... You know, if you can make up to about 50000 of passive income without really causing any big troubles in terms of that clawback of the small business de- deduction. They call it the small business grind. And I guess the one question is, should you pay more salary or dividends? And uh, obviously, if you're paying salary to uh, avoid that small business deduction or to get down to the small business deduction, that probably makes sense. But, uh, you know, it, it at the end of the day, I think paying enough salary so that you earn the maximum Canada pension plan credit still makes sense. And uh, and you know, there's a few other things in terms of things like shareholder loans, uh, capital dividends, re- refundable dividend tax on hand. These are all different strategies. And as far as investments, we often talk about corporate class investments, individual pension plans, and uh, just different strategies around how to maximize the benefit of a corporation. So Lots of ins and outs on using a corporation for your financial uh, life and and building your own retirement goals. So... Uh, feel free to give us a shout and talk to us more about if it applies to you.
1: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from IG Private Wealth Management. You can call them now. Leave a message. They will return your call at 905-529-7165. And check out their website at andyanddon.com. There you can listen to old archive shows as well as ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Thank you, gentlemen. It's been fun. Have a great weekend.